0: The following talk was given at St. Maxime and Catholic Church in Houston, Texas on Tuesday, February 20th. In this talk, Alan Aver of Your Holy Family Ministries talks about the need and duty of the family to evangelize. Our topic tonight is evangelization. Who is called to evangelize? Everybody. Everybody. I'll give you your money later. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody is called to evangelize. Um, When you think of evangelization, what what image comes to your mind? What? The disciples. That that's a good image. Actually, very very good image. Okay. So Franciscan missionaries, any type of missionary that's walking through the countryside and is preaching the good news. I always thought of the, uh, the guy on the street corner with the Bible with a bullhorn on top of a milk carton or a milk, a milk crate, you know, and because and, I'd seen that a few times. And that's kind of what you think of is the Bible thumping. Let me tell you the good news, whether you want to hear it or not. And a lot of people make fun of them, right? I mean, we, what, even then the Simpsons, they made fun of the guy, the next door neighbor to the homer and his family, right? what was his name? Ned Flanders. Ned Flanders. Howdy neighbor, right? And that was that was him. He was always happy, and he would he would talk about the scriptures, and and they thought he was an idiot. <laughs> they were making fun of the guy because you could tell that he was a Christian. So there's a lot of caricatures out there about what it means to be an evangelizer, right? What it means to go and spread the good news. So let's talk about what it really means. And in fact, we'll talk a little bit about what the best way is to evangelize because the church has given advice on this. I mean, Jesus started it out. And when did he tell you to go out and and, uh, spread the good news and baptize in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit? It was right before he ascended to heaven. So it was the last thing he said to the apostles while he was physically here on earth, outside of the Eucharist. Last thing. So you look and see in the scriptures, you know, everything Jesus said was probably pretty important, but there's some times where I think it might even carry a bit more weight. So you look at the seven words on the cross because every time that he, he, he needed to say something, you know, the way you die on a cross is you suffocate because you can no longer take your breath in, so you die of lack of oxygen. So every time he had to say something it was excruciatingly painful so those seven words are probably and who knows but you could say those are probably what the most important things that that he ever said were it was in that part the Eucharist would be another time you know as he's going through that but right as he's about to leave he tells him I don't forget this is it I'm giving you my last advice before I go that was to go and spread the gospel. So that is the the great command to all of us, because we're all disciples. And so we do have a responsibility. So there is a document, a church document, called Evangelii Nuntiandi. Has anybody heard of that document or read it? Uh, it It is Pope Paul VI. And Pope Paul VI, I would say, I I don't know if he's been beatified yet. I think he has been beatified, but has not been declared a saint. This year. This year, he will be. Okay. So Pope Paul VI, uh, a lot of people will kind of deride him in a way because they say, you know, he was this pope that carried on the second Vatican council. I don't really like everything that came out of that. I don't like a lot of what happened to the church at that time. And they kind of look at him in a dim light. But if you look and see what he did, it's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing because he was affectionately known as Paul, Pope Pill the Sixth because everybody thought that he was going to approve what, what everybody wanted, which was artificial contraception. He was going to say, it's fine. Advances in medical technology, we're going to go ahead and go with that. And yet he didn't. He actually disagreed with the committee he put together who a majority of them said, yes, here's what you ought to do. And he looked at it and he prayed about it. And he went against what they were saying he should say he should do. And that was Humani Vitae. A short document, one that was prophetic because it predicted China's one one child policy. It predicted a rise in divorce. It predicted all of these things. If you doubt that the Catholic Church has a prophetic voice in this world, go read Humani Vitae and look at the world we live in today. It was a prophetic document. So he was truly a holy man. Another document that he wrote or, or oversaw and it became, it was it's an encyclical called Evangelii Nuntiandi, Evangelization in the Modern World. And he talked about a lot of things. He said, really, one of the keys out of that document was that we evangelize more through witness than we do through teaching. And and this is at a time where Catholic school students were still memorizing the Baltimore Catechism. He didn't discount that as a bad thing, but he said that is not evangelization. And he actually said that the family is probably one of the most powerful ways to evangelize, a natural unit of evangelization. I'm gonna read um, paragraph 71. Um, our spiritual director was reading Evangelii Nuntiandi and said, I thought of you guys when I read this. So, okay, that's, that's got to be pretty good. He's our spiritual director. One cannot fail to stress the evangelizing action of the family in the evangelizing apostolate of the laity. Because nobody here believes that it's the job of the priest and the religious to evangelize the world, right? Nobody, okay, good. Because if you believe that, we don't have a chance. Because there's way more of us than there are of deacons and priests and religious sisters. So the evangelizing apostle of the laity is the key to evangelization. And he says that the family is... Is, is, is extremely important he can't stress enough how important the action of the family the evangelizing action of the f- action of the family is within that apostolate of the laity at different moments in the church's history and also in the Second Vatican Council, the family has well deserved the beautiful name of the domestic church. This is where that term comes from he, I think he was the first one to write it down in, a, in an official document of the church. maybe it was in one of the uh, uh, um, documents of Vatican II, but this was a re-emphasizing of that. This means that there should be found in every Christian family. He didn't say in most Christian families, in some Christian families. He said in every Christian family, the various aspects of the entire church. Furthermore, the family like the church ought to be a place where the gospel is transmitted and from which the gospel radiates. So think about that, just just dissect that a little bit. A place where the gospel is transmitted, within the family, who's it transmitted from? Parents to children, children. Children and children to children, Children and children to parents. parents. It's it's a continual, and we've seen it in our own family, we've seen it in other families. Um, In fact, the Pope even goes on. In a family which is conscious of this mission, conscious that they are evangelizing, all, members of the fam- all, of the, all the members evangelize and are evangelized, exactly what we just talked about. The parents not only communicate the gospel to their children, but from their children they can themselves re- receive the same gospel as deeply lived by them. What did Jesus say about children? Let the children come to me, right? And the kingdom of God is reserved for such as these. Not to be childish, but to be childlike and have that trust. As such, a family becomes the evangelizer of many other families and of the neighborhood of which it forms a part. Families resulting from a mixed marriage also have the duty of proclaiming Christ to the children in the fullness of the consequences of a common baptism. They have, moreover, the difficult task of becoming builders of unity. So it even addresses those families which may not have two spouses that are Catholic. We're about to have that. (laughs) We're welcoming a a son-in-law later this year. He's not even baptized. But how beautiful it is that he loves my daughter and that he sees something good in her and hopefully within our family, and she sees that something good in him and hopefully even what else is in store for him as he continues to walk towards Christ. So even the church calls out how important it is the role of the family within the evangelization, not only within mm-hmm. their own little unit, but once they've got that part down, it just comes out. I, I wrote uh, an article uh, about this, and I, I, you know I, I listen to a lot of music. And there's a song uh, by Billy Joel. Anybody here ever listen to Billy Joel? He's got a very anti-Catholic song that he wrote. It's called Only the Good Die Young. Anybody ever heard that one? So I picked up one line of it because it is an anti-Catholic song. He says, uh, you know, your mother told me not to date you because I I could only, the only thing I could give you was a bad reputation, right? He's talking about his experience with a Catholic family and how he met this family and Ma, you know, she got her confirmation. And all he could give her was a reputation, and they didn't want her seeing him. And, and, um, and he said, the line that I, I really keyed on was, you know, as, as your mother and, and father are praying their rosaries, have they ever said a prayer for me? You can go read the article. It, it's called, Only the Good Die Young. Um, and that really struck me because we, as a family, we run into a lot of kids. Um, you know, probably a lot of you have had that experience, especially as you get kids that are becoming teenagers, their, their sphere of uh, influence or, you know, their friends become older and become more of their, their identity. And we we'll always encourage them, we'll come over to the house. You can hang out over here, you can play pool upstairs, you can play cards, you know, have a good time. Um, it's safer at my house than maybe somewhere else. <laughs> um, and we have this almost burden Because as these people are brought into our homes, how effectively do we communicate Christ? And I'm not saying that that family that Billy Joel encountered because I'm sure it came from one of his experiences, right? I'm sure it did. I'm not saying that that family was a bad family. Um, They may have done everything right, and yet they could not reach this particular guy. But think about how you might know families that maybe don't accept like uh, there was there was something in one of these quotes. that is like you know the the lost sheep. How, how much do we do we do we desire heaven for the drug addict? How much do we desire heaven for the kid who uh, grew up in a family without a mom and a dad, you know, and 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 suffered abuse, and they were the horrible people, right? And you wouldn't want your kid dating them, but do you love them? Do you want them to experience the peace and the happiness? that a life in Christ can bring. And, and that's an attitude. It's not just, and, and this was something that was very big in Vatican II, and so when you read Evangelion Nuntiandi, you have to view it in that light. This was a time in the church where many people were saying, no, 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 raise, or build up the walls. Keep out all the bad stuff. And the various popes and leaders of the church. John Paul II was instrumental in Vatican II. Um, Jose Maria Escrivá was instrumental in Vatican II. A lot of these saints that we revere as being just these big inspirations, they were all part of that. And they all looked at the world and went, it's not going to work. All these walls we're putting up, they're going to get over it. We cannot keep all of the bad stuff out. So how do we instead of saying we're gonna build up this wall and shore up our defenses, which which was done for many years after the Protestant Reformation, and it just kept getting progressively higher and higher and higher. And it's like, no, 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 this is who we are. That's who you are. You can become one of us or we don't even wanna talk to you, We can do that same thing within our families. And it's not that we don't protect our children. We're actually called to protect them And to give off that light of Christ such that we draw other people to us and they see us and our example because we're trying to live out holy lives and they want what we have. Because that's, that's what happened to us without us even thinking about this. We just went to church. We just sat there in the pew and said, we're just trying to keep our wheels on the car. We can keep moving down the road. And, and that's about all we could think of. But yet, at the same time, we were raising our children to love God. And we were surrounding ourselves with other families that were also raising their children to love God so that we had a community. And people that we didn't know, because we've gone to a couple of parishes, and they're, they're, they're big. They're, they're probably, one was maybe a little smaller than St. Max when we attended there, and the other one is bigger than St. Max. Um, and yet people would see us in this church that seats 1,700 people. <laughs> it's big. How big is St. Max? How many seats? About a thousand. A thousand. So, and it's, it's not always full, but it's a big church. And yet people would see us as we go outside say hi to the priest and hi to the deacons, of course. And, um, and they come up to us and go, your family is so beautiful. And again, this is not about our family. This is about somehow God's beauty shining through our family. And they would say, what is your secret? You know, in other words, I want what you have. And for the longest time, we didn't know how to explain it. We, we did we, And that's part of what this talk is about, is to give you those tools that we, that were right in front of us that we didn't even notice. So how do you explain what it is? That, that you know, St. Saint, Saint Peter says, always be ready to give, uh, to, give a, to give a testimony to the reason for your joy. And I don't quote scripture perfectly, but that, it's 1 Peter 13, chapter 13, I believe. Do I have it? It's on there? Read it for me. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone for a reason for your hope. Do it with, with gentleness and reverence. So that is what we should be ready to do as parents. As families, And when someone asks us, "What is it about your family that makes you guys look different?" What is it that you guys go to church and you like it? What is it? Because I don't experience that, but I want it. That's what I. That's what I want. We have to be ready to share that, because we all have a story. If I look back at um, what was uh, given to me in a was uh, uh, just a personal. It was the charygma. if you ever heard of the charisma? you know, God loves you, there is a standardized consequence Jesus as a savior, so repent and receive the Holy Spirit. That's the kerygma. That is the basic teaching of the church. You'll find it in Baptist churches, most mainline Protestant churches, even most evangelical non-denominational churches will teach that because that is something very common to our faith. And that's what Pope Paul VI said, you have to start with that. With, with, with that as your basis for evangelization. You don't start with, let me, let me tell you about Christ's mother. As beautiful as she is, that's not part of the core message. And, and our, our blessed mother would say the same thing. she like, said no, no, no. Go back to how much God loves you. And that there is sin and yet Christ can save us from that sin. And, and now what? Repent and receive the Holy Spirit. That's the basics. That's what our families all say. That's what we as individuals should say. If we are here at this church, we have that story within us. I was lost, and now I am found. I was this way before, and with Christ, I am now this way. He is my hope, and I can share that story. I can share of of trials that we've been through in our family and how my faith in Christ saw us through that. That's the essence of evangelization. Everyone here should have that to varying degrees. Some may have more than others. You know, To the ones who have, have been saved from much, <laughs> you have a lot more love. You know? If you were in the, the, the pit of hell <laughs> and God pulled you out of it, you have more to be thankful for. But we all have a story. Because the drug addict who was saved from a life of doing heroin and prostitution and all that, that was then saved by Christ, that message is going to really resonate with someone who was addicted to drugs and was a prostitute and was a you know, atheist, their message will reach that person. For someone who's never experienced that, it might just be too much. But to someone who's just kind of walking along lukewarm and going, well, I go to church. I don't kick the dog. I, uh, I haven't killed anyone. I'm basically a good person. All right? So who's going to reach them? It could be somebody like you. It could be your family. You know, maybe they got married and, and they're not living marriage in the way that it should be. Maybe they're not open to children. Um, I know my wife... Uh, we met somebody at, a, at, a, at her family retreat. They were actually part of the, uh, they were the musicians for one of our retreat and uh, a very faithful couple, but they were struggling. And the wife, uh, I don't know, she said something to me or some, somebody else, they got around to me and says, yeah, I've, I've, had, I've had three C-sections and the, they tell me I can't have any more children, the doctors do, and, and I'm, I'm really scared. I said, like, well, well, my wife's had nine C-sections. And I'm not saying everybody can, but you should go talk to her. And she did. I think they're on their seventh. <laughs> I, I've lost track, because every time I look at my Facebook page, I see that, hey, I've got the picture, and there's another baby coming. And I go, it's nice. I love it. It's, but sometimes it takes heroic courage to do that, And sometimes when you're struggling with, do I listen to the expert doctors and my family and friends who are, who are rightly concerned for someone's health? Do, do I listen to all of those voices or do I listen to God? Because I know God's telling me, trust him. And then God says, oh, I'll help you. I'll send you somebody that's been right where you're at, that can share with you the things that I have done for her. Same thing with guys. I mean, it, it's not exempt. Dads suffer just as much as moms. And kids, they can, they can have a witness from one of their friends who decides to go on a father-son campout, and, and the, the other one's there, and he's going, I didn't want to go on this father-son campout. I could have been at home with my buddies instead of out here with my dad. And yet they meet somebody else who's having a great time with their dad. They're like, oh, it's not so bad. And then they start to meet that guy, and they're like, this guy's pretty nice. I didn't think anybody that went to a Christian camp for a weekend was actually cool. But they are. And people look at us, you know, with nine kids, and they're like, you know what causes that? And they went, well, yeah. We figured it out. It's a good thing. And we can't have any more, and it's, and it's a burden to us. So even to somebody that 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 has that attitude, you can soften their hearts by following the promptings of God. Now, I like to say you can't give what you don't have. So, if you don't have that trust in Christ, you're probably not going to be a very communic, a very effective vessel for spreading that good news. That if you trust in Christ, you're going to have peace. And I, I'm doing a a. a an evening of discernment, and we're talking about discernment not uh, not discernment for vocations, but just discernment for general life uh, decisions and I'm doing this for the youth, and we're all talking about discernment and and how important it is and and how we how we go about communicating that to to to, to the young people and um, and it it's it's an interesting talk about that right it's 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 saying that you need to start out by saying, okay, when you're, when you're in discernment, you have to, one, know that God loves you, and, and you have to desire to want what God wants for you because His plans are better than your plans. And I said, and we also have to remind people that just because you discern something and say, oh, well, this is the choice I'm going to make. God, help me discern this. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be painless. And I I give the story of when I came to Houston um, thinking it was just for a job, and and it was the most painful two years of my life. But I have no doubt whatsoever that that this is where God wanted me. No doubt. I had peace about it. I did not have a lot of joy. (laughs) Well, seeing my brother was good but I did not have a lot of joy about it. It was not like, oh my gosh, this is great. I followed God's will and I am overjoyed that I followed God's will. I had a sense of peace about it and I was happy that I did it. But it was that 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 real trust in that I'm I'm doing what God needs me to do right now. And as soon as he's done with this particular task, I'm going back to Round Rock. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to approach evangelization with an understanding that you are imperfect, and that's okay, because you're going to be ministering to imperfect people. Um, we talk about this a lot in our ministry, that who are we to get up in front of anybody and talk about God's plan for family life? Who are we to, to give advice about how to do things? Because we look at our own family and go, it's not... Perfect. It's far from it. But isn't that where everybody's at? And if you think that you're not effective at evangelizing, you can go talk to this guy over here who just shared a story about, I'm not going to use your name. <laughs> but he, he did, all he did was at his workplace just say, as he's talking to a, a boss or something, he say, well, you g- have a great day and God bless you, and went off. And yet, that simple act of just saying, God bless you, and a smile, perhaps, changed that person's life in ways you may never know. And uh, I like to say that when you meet somebody, and, and I, you know, sometimes I'm just prompted to say something, and I'm going, I don't want to say that. I'm not comfortable saying that. Why did I say that? So, well, yeah, I, I knew I was supposed to say it. It wasn't comfortable saying it. And that person did not have a nice reaction to when I said it, and, and that's okay. Sometimes that comes with a bit of practice, you know, because you just don't talk ugly to people. And I didn't talk ugly. I just said the truth you know, about something. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember those occasions happening. When you say something, you get this ugly reaction. Uh, this one Catholic apologist gives a story that he he's in there in a, like a, a drugstore and he's, he's arguing with the person behind the counter about some topic of faith, about abortion. I think it was the topic. And he's having this really intense conversation and, and, and he's, he's like, I did not persuade that person behind the counter. That person behind the counter had no change in their view on abortion whatsoever. And I walk out of the door, and a person comes up to me that was standing by listening and says to him, You know what? You changed my mind. So we don't know. We don't know when God prompts us to do something, when God prompts us to witness to the beauty of being open to children, the beauty to uh, um, discerning not taking a high-paying job that keeps you out of, out of your family's lives for 80% of your life. Of your week, um, you know, choosing a lower-paying job that keeps you at home. I mean, those are all discernment. But when we witness to that to people, the person we're witnessing to may not accept it. It may take three, four, or five more people to witness to them in the same way for them to actually go, Ah, oh, God's trying to speak to me. <laughs> I haven't been very nice to the last four. <laughs> and I'm going to listen now. But it could have been someone else that heard that is, you know, there's that scripture about, you know, you, you throw the seeds, you know, the, it's one of Jesus's parables. You throw the seeds, some land on rocky ground, some lands in fertile soil. You just throw the seeds. You put it out there, you treat everyone as as though they were Christ, and you love them. And the the better extent that your family exhibits kind of everything we've talked about for the last six weeks, Right. That uh, we must be a family with priorities centered around Jesus being in the center of the circle, right? The circle of chairs, which is all the priorities we have, Jesus is in the middle. And we have to prioritize our life to keep him in the middle. Instead of moving him to one of the chairs on the outside or even throwing him out of the circle all the together. Because it happens. Keep him in the middle. First, first method. Second, we have to be a family of prayer we have to have, we have to, we have to prove with evidence that Christ is really at the center of our family, that, that we pray to him. We pray to God. We ask God to be part of our family decisions. We lay our burdens at his feet because sometimes they become too hard for us to carry, too heavy. And we do that with our family because that's a great way of evangelizing our children. Showing them instead of just going and praying by ourselves and hiding it from our children, we need to show them. Right? So, family prayer, family play, or being a family of joy, engaging your children and proving to them that you like them and not just love them. They are different. And then having that true love of God, right? The, the Holy Trinity, the, the, the theology of the body, right? This is this idea. That God the Father loves God the Son, and because of the intensity of that love, there it gives birth to a third person. That's not exactly what it is. It is the, the Holy Spirit always existed, but it, He emanates from the love between the Father and the Son. In the same way, our families are an imperfect version of that, because the love between a husband and a wife has bears fruit, and even even within infertility, it that 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 fruit of that love will come out in some way and if fertility is there it comes out often in the form of a little person which is beautiful but having that love of God within your family and then having that community of faith and then having the ability and the courage to share that gift you've been given your witness with others that's the key That's the key to living out a holy family life and to changing the world. We have to be willing to share our lives as broken as they are because somebody else out there is broken worse than you are. And they need to hear your witness of how God is putting the pieces back together. Thank you for listening. For more information on Your Holy Family Ministries, please visit yourholyfamily.org.